Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. If, if you have faith that God is sovereign, say, oh, yeah. If you have faith that God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, say, oh, yeah. If you believe that living out your faith is easy, say, oh, yeah. There, there, is, a, there is a sharp decline in our oh, yeahs, Right? I mean, what happened? We, we said that we believe God's good. We said we believe God is sovereign. We said that we believe God is omnipotent, omniscient, uh, omnipresent. So do we really have that faith? Because if, if our faith was really that concrete, if it, if it was really that substantial, then, then living our faith should be easy, but it's not. Because I get in the way of my faith. Right? Wouldn't it be wonderful if Hebrews 11.1, 1, which, which I know that you guys uh, looked at a couple weeks ago, wouldn't it be great if that verse said, faith is being sure of what we see and certain of what we know? Wouldn't that make this whole thing a whole lot easier? Right? You know, like Thomas, if I could just, if I could just touch it, if I could just see the step that I'm supposed to take, gosh, it'd make this whole thing a whole lot easier. See, we're these, we're these giant control freaks that, that we have to know what's next. We, ha- we have to, because, because not seeing is just too hard. It's just too difficult. Uh, the, the question has been asked many times, is faith a noun or a verb? Right? What is it? Both. Right. Uh, and, and are there any English professors in the room okay good um all right well well i i have to think that that faith supersedes our grammar right faith is a noun it's a verb it's an adverb it's a pronoun it's an adjective it's it's far beyond what what we can put in in a a sentence structure right but but certainly i want to be known by my faith i want to be known as a man of faith but but i want that faith to be in action Right? We're going to look at a passage tonight. You can turn there. It's in Hebrews 11, <clears throat> verses 17 through 22. And, and we're going to look at four people. Maybe you've heard of them Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. You know, just four small biblical characters. But let's read, let's read this passage together. Hebrews 11, 17 through 22. It might be up here on the screen, too. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions 
concerning his bones. So we get to, we get to, to take some time tonight to, to look over some, some actions of, of these patriarchs that identify them with faith. Right? What, what, a, what, a great, what a great way to be recognized uh, by their faith. So let's look first at, at Abraham. What we, see, what we see with Abraham's life is Abraham made himself available. Right? Our faith should make us available. Our faith should make us available. In, in Genesis 12... Verse 1, Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And we see in verse 4, so Abraham went, as the Lord had told him. Right? Abraham went. God said, leave everything. Leave everything comfortable. Leave everything that you know. And, and go. And that's what Abraham did. Right? Now contrast this with Moses' call. We read in Exodus when Moses is called to go and, and, and deliver the people out of Egypt. If you look there in chapters 2 and 3, five times Moses tries to get out of it. Right? Five times Moses is trying to come up with a God, please send someone else. Right? I'm, I'm not good at this stuff. I've, I've never been good with words. Please, please just send someone else. Right? Now, now I, I, I understand. I, we have to take into account that the call was a little bit different. Um, Abraham is told here in, in, in chapter 12, the Lord says, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. And, and so, Abraham went. But still, again, he's leaving everything comfortable. He's leaving everything he's ever known. And, and we just do not like to break away from status quo. That's just human nature. Our, our human nature is to, to remain locked in our status quo, even if our status quo is unhealthy, dysfunctional, chaotic, whatever it might be. It's too uncomfortable to step outside of that, right? But that's not what we see here with Abraham. When, when we moved here to the Promised Land uh, five and a half years ago... Um, from Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, you know, for me, for me there, was, there was an adventure tied to it. You know, I, I was coming out to, to start my career. It was, it was a job opportunity. But, but for my wife, my beautiful wife sitting there in the back, who today has turned 39, but looks 22. Um, uh, for her, there, there wasn't that same sense of adventure. Right? She wasn't coming for a job. Furthermore, her, her family doesn't change much. Um, her parents still live in the same house up in, up in Pasadena that she was brought home to as a newborn. Um, her, her dad worked in the, in the same uh, job for 33 years before he retired as a Santa Monica police officer and detective. Her brother lives two miles away from her parents and works as a firefighter in a neighboring city. Her parents drive cars for like 20 years before they replace them, and they, they still look brand new. I don't know how he does it. They don't change much, right? And so, so we made this significant change. We, we made this, this trek across the country, and, 
And man, I'll tell you, when, when we look back on God's faithfulness through that, I'm just sitting here as we were singing these songs, these all too familiar songs of, of, of God's faithfulness. I, I can't help but be overwhelmed with, with God's goodness, right? But, but man, all the faith leading up to it. And again, I, I look at my wife and the example that she was for me as being willing to take that step of faith. Being willing to leave everything that was comfortable, right? So, so here Abraham is, is being willing to, he's, he's willing to leave everything that's comfortable. So that, that's the first place that we see Abraham uh, being, being available, right? But if we, if we flip over a couple chapters to Genesis 22, right? God calls to Abraham. 22 verse 1, it says, Sometime later God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham. And listen to Abraham's response here. Right? He says, here I am. I want you to write that down. Here I am. I'm going to leave that up here. Right? Doesn't, doesn't, that, just, doesn't that just sound more polite than, than what? Right? What do you want? Huh? I mean, wouldn't it be great as parents if we called our kids... Right, if we yelled for one of our kids, Connor, Ethan, Mason, Brooke, and they ran up, here I am. Um, you know, instead, usually what we get, like if we're calling our oldest son, it's, hey, Connor. Connor. Hey, Connor. Connor. What? Right, that's, that's usually what we get. That's usually the, 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 the back and forth that we get. But, but God calls Abraham, and, and, God's, and, and Abraham says, here I am. Here I am. Right there's Brooke yelling Connor. Here I am. Here I am, God. What do you want? What do you need? And so God follows with this. God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Now I, ha- I have no idea what was going on in Abraham's mind. I, I can tell you maybe some thoughts I would have that be going through my mind. I, I, I'm sure maybe my first thought would have been, uh, boy, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I heard you right. You know, I was, I was texting or I was, I was eating or I was watching TV and I can't do two things at once. Do you, want me to, you want me to sanctify my son? Right? Or, or, maybe, or maybe, maybe Abraham thought, yeah, that's, yeah, that's funny. Uh, you, surely you can't be serious. Right? I mean, it wasn't all that long ago that, that you told me that it was through Isaac's offspring that, that we would be reckoned. So how, how does this make any sense? Right? So, again, I, I don't know what Abraham was thinking. But what we read, what we read, God says, go sacrifice your son on the mountain, I will show you. The very next verse, verse 3 in chapter 22 it says, early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, and went. Right away. Right away. No, 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 no back and forth. No, hey, can I just finish this really quick? Or can, how about, how about we do like a bunch of goats, or a bunch of donkeys, or a bunch of whatever, a bunch of sheep, whatever. Could, 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 could we just do something? None of that. It's, yeah, yeah, I'll go. I'll go do that. Right? Right? And can you imagine, it was a three-day journey that Abraham had to go on with his son Isaac and some of his servants. Did he, did he have a conversation with Sarah? 
Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what. Again, I'm sure all kinds of thoughts had to be going on in his mind, and 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 those three days must have felt like eternity, and 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 each step got harder and harder, and and probably hundreds of thoughts were going through his mind, right? And then he gets to the mountain, he gets to the bottom there, and he leaves the servants, and now it's just he and Isaac. Now it's just he and his only son. And, and now he's walking up the mountain, carrying the, the things that he needs to have for a sacrifice, and he, and he builds that altar. And, and I, I mean, at this point, Isaac is maybe piecing things together, right? And Abraham has to be overwhelmed with, with all of the human emotions. As, as, as righteous and as faithful as Abraham might have been, he was still human, right? And so he's building this altar, knowing he's about to lay his son. He puts his son on there, and, and, and he has to bind his son for the sacrifice. And at this point, his son has to be crying. Even if he doesn't know what's going on, the thought of being tied down isn't going to be comfortable. And, and, and as he raises the knife, God calls out to Abraham again. And what's Abraham's response? Here I am. Here I am. It's the same response. Here I am, God. I'm, I'm still available to you. Here I am. In, in Abraham's darkest moment of his life, in, in, the, in the worst moment of his life, his response is still, here I am. Whatever you need from me, I'm available. And so our faith in action should make us available. Now let's look at Isaac. Right? Isaac's faith should bring us to a place of conviction. That's what we see. Our, our faith should bring us to a place of conviction when we look at Isaac's life. If we remember, Isaac blesses the wrong son, right? Uh, he, he was deceived. He inadvertently gave the blessing to Jacob when it shouldn't be given, when, it, when he wanted to give it to Esau. Now, the reason he wanted to give it to Esau is because he was in his own flesh. He, he saw Esau as being the, the, he saw Esau, see what I did there, he saw Esau, he saw Esau as being the, the, the stronger, more manlier man, a, a better representation of what he wanted his name to be associated with, right? And, and so he wanted, he wanted Esau to have that blessing. He didn't bother consulting God on this one. It was a pretty big decision. I mean, this was going to be God's people. God had made that pretty clear to Abraham and to Isaac that, that, their offspring was going to be somewhat important. But Esau, or, or Isaac, decides, I'm going, to, I'm going to take this one in into my own hands. Or I'm, I'm going to do this one on my own. Um, our, our, our little girl sitting back there. Uh, she's at that stage right now where she wants to do everything herself. No, I do it, I do it, I do it. Right? Have you ever seen a, have you ever seen a three-year-old? Uh, she hasn't done this yet. We're waiting for it. Have you ever seen a three-year-old trying to help mom bake cookies? Right? And then they're going to take that bag of flour and dump it in the measuring cup. You can imagine what happens. Right? When a three-year-old tries to take that bag of flour, and, and, uh, it's going to make a huge mess. But man, they want to do it on their own. I want to do it all by myself. Right? And, and that's where we see Isaac here. I want to do it all by myself. I have, I have better plans. I, you know, I, I think I got this. I want to do it all by myself. And he makes this, this, this horrible decision. He makes, he makes this horrible error. And so we see in Genesis t- chapter 27, 
once Isaac realizes what he's done. In verse 33, it says this. When Esau comes to him and says, I'm your son, I'm your firstborn, it says Isaac trembled violently. He trembled violently. He realized he was caught. He, he, just, he just made the, the worst mistake of his life, and he was caught. Because he didn't have anything left over for Jacob. He didn't have anything. Right? That was his plan. His plan was to give it all to Esau and have nothing for Jacob. So when Esau comes in and he'd given everything to Jacob, now he's got nothing for Esau. And so he realizes the weight of his mistake. But, but rather than, than, than trying to double back and, 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 and fix his, his wrong or anything like that, he responds to the conviction. He responds to God's conviction here and, saying, and recognizes God's sovereignty. He doesn't, he doesn't try to, to, to fix it or balance it out. He realizes that he was in the wrong. And, and now he's going to follow He's going to follow God's lead on this. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. It says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. That, that's the kind, of, that's the kind of, uh, of grief, that's the kind of conviction that Isaac was responding to here. Right? Our, our faith... Should, should bring about a conviction that brings us back to God's sovereignty, that reminds us of, of how powerful and how, and how sovereign God is. Last time, uh, I think I touched on the concern that I have in seeing, really with our generation, is us losing sight of the, the power of God. Right? I, I love the name given to God, El Shaddai. El Shaddai, write that down, El Shaddai. God the powerful, God the mighty one. Man, how, how we need to be reminded of this. And in that moment, Isaac was convicted and reminded of who El Shaddai was. Right? Maybe, maybe some of you have seen this image before. This, this image is, is an image uh, from the Hubble telescope. It, it, it's a glimpse of the furthest corners of, of the universe. This is 13.3 billion light years away. Nowhere in this image, nowhere in this picture, is, is our galaxy even distinguishable, which makes us less than nanoscopic. I don't know what's any smaller than that, right? And, and all of this, all of this is on the very tip of God's fingertip, on his, like, pinky fingertip. All of this. Right, think, think about that for a minute. We're, we're, we're somewhere in there that, that you'll never be able to see. And, and all of it, God holds on the, on the tip of his baby finger. Can, can, our, faith, can our faith really really take that? Can we really grasp that? And, and, and once we are reminded of God's sovereignty, it should bring us back to this place of conviction because so often, so often, guys, like you, I try to do things on my own, right? I'm constantly telling God, no, 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 I got this, I got this, I got this. 
And, and I could. I could spend a lot of time standing up here today talking about the number of times I've tried to take my own life into my own hands, right, thinking that i got better plans. I can, I can fast-track my way to where I think I should be. And, and, man, do I end up in miserable places because I don't respond right away to that conviction. But then God, in his, in his loving kindness, brings us to that place reminding us of his sovereignty so that we move towards that conviction. And that's what we see with Isaac. Now we move to Jacob. We move to Jacob, the master deceiver. Right? And what we see with Jacob is that our, that our faith should lead us to a place of commitment. In spite of, in spite of Jacob being able to, to pull off the greatest coup of all, kind, of all time, right? he's, he's able to, to pull off the, the greatest deception of all time, and yet here he is listed in Hebrews 11, in, in, in the hall of faith that we refer to it, that maybe we shouldn't, I don't know. One of the patriarchs, but, but not just one of the patriarchs. I mean, he's, he's a dominating figure. He is, he is literally Israel, right? Jacob is renamed Israel. And so, so what, do we, what do we see here in Jacob's life? And there's a, lot, there's a lot to say about Jacob. There's a lot to say about Jacob in terms of his commitment. He remained faithful to his uncle Laban for, for over 20 years, far beyond what he originally agreed to uh, in, order, in order to marry his wife. But he remained faithful. He did, he did above and beyond to upholding that commitment. He made, he made Laban very prosperous in that time. Jacob, Jacob was committed to receiving his full blessing. If you, if you go back and you remember where there was, there, he was going to see Esau as they were crossing through the land, and, and he felt threatened that he was going to lose his blessing. And he wrestled with an angel of God and wouldn't let him go. Wouldn't let him go until he received God's full blessing. The dude was stubborn, right? He was determined to receive his full blessing. But, but this commitment is not what we see highlighted here in Hebrews 11. If, if you look at it in Hebrews 11, it says... By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. So if you turn to Genesis 48, we see, we see kind of an, an, an interesting uh, thing happen here that Jacob does. It's very, it's very unexpected. So at, at this point, Jacob has been reunited with his son Joseph. And he learns that he has these two grandsons, and, and, and so he's able to, to reestablish his relationship with Joseph. He's able to establish his relationship with his grandson, and, and now he's old. Now he's, he's, he's ailing, he's dying. At this point, he's lost his sight. And so Joseph knows that, that it's time for his sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, to come to Jacob and receive their blessing because Jacob had made a commitment when he first saw Joseph and, and saw his grandsons, he made a commitment to Joseph <clears throat> excuse me, that Ephraim and Manasseh would be adopted as, as his own. That Jacob would take Joseph's sons and, and, be, and be part of, of the tribes and, and they would get the same inheritance as Joseph and his brothers. And so Joseph knows it's, it's about that time for his sons to receive that blessing. And so, and so they're sitting, Ephraim and Manasseh are, are, are sitting up on Jacob's lap. And, and so Joseph pulls them down. And here's what he does. 
Joseph takes Manasseh and puts Manasseh on, on Joseph's left side. And he takes Ephraim and puts uh, Ephraim on his right side so that when he's facing Jacob, Jacob would take his right hand out and bless Manasseh first as the older and Ephraim second as the younger. But Jacob does something very different here. Jacob is responding to God and Jacob crosses his hands over and, and blesses Ephraim, the younger son, with the dominant blessing. Right? And, and Manasseh receives the secondary blessing. And when Joseph sees this, we read here in Genesis 48, 18, it says, Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. Right? Joseph sees what's going on. And, and you know, let, me, let, me, let me fix this. Right? Let me correct this. And, I, and I, love, I love Jacob's response here. I love it. And you'll see a, a picture here, but we read in verse 19, his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. I know, I hear you. I, I know, I know the right order of things. Believe me, Jacob is saying, if anybody knows the right order of things, it's me. I, I know. But I can't do that. I can't do that. He, meaning Manasseh, will also become a people and, and also be great, but nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. You know, Jacob, Jacob did this knowing it was going to put him in a, in, a, in a precarious position with his son. Right? I mean, again, he had been separated from his son for like 22 years. And now he's doing something that could, that could put some enmity, enmity between he and Joseph. Right? And, and, and even further distance between he and his grandsons. But but it's more important that Jacob remain committed to what God is convicting him to do, to what God is telling him to do. And, and what's interesting, it was, as we see in our text here in Hebrews chapter 17, it says, By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. This wasn't about Joseph. This wasn't about pleasing his son. It wasn't about appeasing him. It wasn't even about following the right order. Of, of what, was, what was customary in that time. This was about being obedient. And because Jacob was in that posture of worship, he was, he was able to hear what God was saying. I, one of my favorite stories, I love this story, if you're not familiar with, with Teen Challenge, um, but, but the founding father of Teen Challenge, David Wilkerson. And, and if you've read the book, the, the Cross and the Switchblade, Right, where, where David Wilkerson, who is a small-time rural pastor in Pennsylvania, and he's reading a, he's reading a Time magazine article about these, these gangs of New York that, that are, are these young teenagers that are, that are committing these horrendous crimes, these terrible, violent crimes. And something stirs within David Wilkerson to go and, 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 and minister and witness to these gang members of New York. And so one of the first ones that he meets is a, is a, is a Puerto Rican immigrant named Nicky Cruz. Nicky Cruz, he was a bad man. He was a bad dude. He was a violent guy. And David Wilkerson, and, and, and Nicky Cruz was the leader of this gang called the Mau Mau's, right? And David Wilkerson goes to Nicky Cruz several times and ministers to him. To, to him. On two occasions, Nicky punches him. Nicky's wanting to knock him out. And then the third time... Nikki says to David Wilkerson, if you, if you tell me about Jesus one more time, I'm going to cut you up. I'm going to slice you up. 
right? And David Wilkerson says, you, you can do that. You can slice me a thousand times and lay him in the street, but every piece of them is still going to be crying out that Jesus loves you, right? David was in a posture of worship. He was committed to his call. Not, nothing, was, nothing was going to cause him to waver from that commitment because of his faith. Our, our faith should lead us to a place of strong commitment to God's call in our life. And now we look at Joseph. One of my favorite, one of my favorite Bible characters, Joseph. And we see with Joseph that faith should lead us to, to selflessness, that our faith should be selfless. When, when I get to heaven, uh, if I only get like one question with each of these Bible characters, which we'll, we might have time for more than one, but I'd love to ask Joseph how. How? How did you maintain that level of faith? I mean, your, your brothers plotted to kill you, but instead they sold you. So you were a slave, and, and then you refused to sleep with your boss's wife. So you get thrown in prison and locked up for 13 years for a crime you didn't commit. You're forgotten about there, and, and you still go nearly 22 years without seeing your family. How? How, how did you remain to have that level of faith? Because your response, as we see here in Genesis 50-20, is, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. How? How, how are you able to have that response to it all? I'd love to ask. I'd love to know. I'd love to know how. But this isn't necessarily what, what's being highlighted for us in Hebrews 11. The author here isn't making mention of any of that. Right? If, if we look at Hebrews 11, verse 22, it says, By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. The faith that, that is being referred to here wasn't over past things. It was over the future things. It, it wasn't Joseph looking to, to glean anything from the past. It was him looking into the future. And so here Joseph is. He's acquired great wealth. He has great riches, great honor. He's not making any mention of that in his final instructions of his life. That's not important to him. I mean, here at the very end of Genesis, he's giving instructions regarding his bones, regarding what to do with him when he's dead. It says in verse 25 of chapter 50, Joseph made the Israelites swear on oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. He made mention about all his riches, all his possessions. Because faith is not about our possessions. Faith is not about what we can see, what we can touch, what we've acquired, what we have. I, 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 uh, the, I love the story of the, the man, the old, the old tightwad, stingy man who had acquired great wealth. And, and he told his wife before he died, he said, promise me that you will bury me with all my money. He said, honey, that's ridiculous. But he was adamant. I mean, he, he was as stubborn as they come. And so she agreed. And so, and so on the day of his funeral, the casket's open, and just before they close it, she walks up with a shoebox. And she puts it in the casket, and they close it. And one of her friends, and there's not very many people at this funeral because nobody really liked this guy, one of her friends said, did you, 
do you really put all his money in there? And she said, yeah, I, I made a commitment. And so I, I, I reconciled all of our accounts into one count, and I wrote him a check and put it in the box. Uh, <clears throat> he was buried with all his money, right? You, you women are clever. Faith wasn't about Joseph's possessions. He wasn't interested in, in his possessions. Furthermore, faith wasn't about his legacy. No, notice he says this. He says, take my bones. Right? Take my bones. Which, which he believed that, that his flesh was already going to be consumed. That, that this, was, this was further out. This was further out. Take my bones, bury them with my fathers. And in fact, it was, it was 200 years later. Where, where Joseph's bones were, were buried. Be, because J- Joseph could have been buried there with the kings and with the great men of Egypt. He had every right to. He had, he had earned that status, right? But he recognized, he realized that, that the Egyptians were prone to, to idolism, right? They, they were prone to casting idols, and, and uh, they would make him an idol. He didn't want to do that. He didn't want to be a stumbling block, to the Egyptians. His faith wasn't about his legacy. His faith was something more than that. Right? His faith and our faith should be about God's sovereignty. That's what our faith should be about. And, and, and his command, he knows, he has this forethought that, that even though the people are going to wander away, even, even though they're going to endure such great hardship because of their decisions and their mistakes. Remain true to the plan. Stick to God's plan. Be faithful in spite of their unfaithfulness. Even in Joseph's death, he was faithful. Jo- Joseph realized and, 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 and almost was kind of foreshadowing what John the Baptist would, stay, would say thousands of years later when John would say, he must increase, I must decrease. Right? Tony Evans says it like this. He says, more of him being expressed in less of me. The, the, the more that I move in to the radiance and, and, and the light of Almighty God, there should be less of me. Anything good in me, anything good in me isn't me at all. It's not me at all. I got nothing good. I... I Anytime, anytime a couple or an individual comes in my office, I, I, I pray before and I pray at the end. And, I, and I'm very cognizant that if there's any good counsel, it didn't come out of any, of any psychology or, or self-help therapeutic book. It came out of God's word first. That's the, that's the greatest self-help book we have. And, and I'm grateful for all the tools that surround that and, and, and that support that. But, but anything good in any of us is not us at all. And, and, and so Joseph's faith demonstrates that, that this, this type of faith, this real faith, should lead us to a place of selflessness. So, so we see here through, through the examples that God's given us that our faith should make us available. We, we should be ready. Our response should be, here I am. Here I am. What can I do for you? What would you like me to do, really? There's nothing we can really do for God, right? But here I am. 
Our, our, our faith should cause us to respond to conviction. You know, there, there are lots of times, if I'm being honest, there are a lot of times where I'm reading through this and I don't like what it says because it tells me I'm wrong. I don't like being told I'm wrong. But, but I'm grateful for even just that subtle conviction, right? And I, and I, and I got to press into that. I can't, I can't try to steer away from it or try to create my own truth. I have to press into that because this is far better than anything I can come up with, right? Our, our faith should lead us to an unwavering, undying commitment in the truth. I, I spoke a couple weeks ago to our prime timers, <clears throat> and I was, I was encouraging them, um, maybe, even, maybe even close to pleading with them, to not give up on this generation, on, on, on this younger generation. It, 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 it scares me, really, to, to think about what my kids are growing up in and, and, and the evil that's out there. And, and yet, I know that there's so much light around them. I know there's so much good around them, right? Us, us being some of that. Let, let's remain committed to that call to be that example because here we are, again, thousands of years removed from Abraham, from Isaac, from Jacob, from Joseph, and we're still gleaning from them, right? We're still learning and being encouraged and motivated and inspired by their faith. And so let's, let's remain committed to that call to be faithful so that we can be that example knowing like we see from Joseph, it's not about us anyway, right? My life is not about me. I I love how David Platt says it. We have a God-centered God. I'm not at the center of God's universe. You're not at the center of God's universe. God is at the center of his universe. So everything that he does ultimately is for his glory. And, And... then we recognize his glory is our good, right? And it, and it deepens our faith in him. Uh, I, I, told, I was talking to Travis today on our way up uh, with the missionaries and, and sharing with him that, that uh, I had a, a theology professor in my undergrad who uh, he had a bumper sticker on, on the door of his uh, office. And it said, it was a bumper sticker that said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Anyone see that before? Seen that before? So he had that bumper sticker, <clears throat> but he had crossed out the line that said, I believe it. Right? Somewhat problematic for a theology professor at an evangelical university. Uh, and so the president of our, of our university was walking down the hall, and he sees that bumper sticker. And so he goes to, to Dr. Wright, and he says, hey, why does our theology professor have the I believe it part crossed out on this? And he said, well, it, it matters not whether or not I believe it. It simply matters whether or not God said it. If God said it, that settles it. Right? Love that faith. I love that boldness of faith. And, and so, again, thinking about that, that earlier question, maybe, maybe living our faith, maybe, maybe making it easy shouldn't be our... our our main objective, uh, but man, it should be joyful, right? Now, if I were to say, how many of you believe that living your faith produces great joy, how many of you would say, oh yeah? How many of you would say, oh yeah? yeah. I hope so, 
right? There should be great joy that comes from that. Let's pray. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus's final words to his disciples in the upper room. They are about to enter the darkest moment in history, and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.